Turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter number five. The Gospel of Mark, chapter number five. And if anybody runs into Diane Hoffman, you let her know pastor's looking for her. She may be hiding out there in that parking lot today, but somebody make sure that she knows I asked about her. Mark chapter 5, beginning with verse 21. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. And he besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. Now let's come down to verse 35. And while he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, Someone that said, Thy daughter is dead, why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, and these words are the title of the message today. Be not afraid, only believe. Let's pray. Father, again, it is our great joy to be able to gather with the saints of God and we're happy that you have preserved us and kept us by your might and by your power. I pray, God, that throughout this week, your blessings would continue to overtake us. But as we're meeting in this sanctuary today, I pray that the word would be heard. Give us ears to hear and help each one of us to apply the word throughout the week. Help us to be people of faith and lead us to have confidence in you. These things we pray for in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen, Amen. This is a remarkable chapter because it deals with the marvelous works of God. Jesus has just healed a man that was possessed of devils. And as you can see in verse 20, this man began to tell the story of his deliverance throughout the Decapolis. The word Decapolis refers to a ten-city area in Palestine and in Jordan and in Syria. And that's what the word Decapolis means. It has to do with ten cities. And he was telling about the wonderful things that the Lord had done for him, and of course people were startled. They hadn't heard stories like this, certainly had never seen things like this. It was a man that lived in a cemetery that now is made whole. His mind has returned to him. But the scripture says Jesus, passing by ship to the other side of the sea, a ruler of the synagogue came to him. What is a synagogue? It's a house of worship for Jewish people. You don't read about synagogues in the Old Testament because they didn't exist. They developed after the Babylonian captivity. And a synagogue is a place where they would gather so that someone could read from the Old Testament law. And then a rabbi would begin to preach and expound to them the particular scripture that had been read. Jairus, being one of the rulers, was someone in charge of a synagogue. 
He might have been like an elder in that particular facility. But can you imagine a man with this kind of power and clout hearing about a man by the name of Jesus who was not someone who was a Pharisee or a rabbi who did not have power as a, as a status symbol in the community, but he was known as a rabbi to his disciples. And Jairus came to this unlearned and unlettered man by the name of Jesus and fell down at his feet. This man had a desire and he had a petition. And according to verse 23, he besought the Lord greatly. So here is a father that is making intercession for a daughter that lies at the point of death. It's a beautiful story. If you've ever had a need in your family, you know the best place to go is to God. He probably had called other doctors, but they couldn't help. But he goes directly to the king of kings and speaking to Jesus from a position of submission down on all fours, at his feet, begging and pleading. This is how a man is talking to the king. What does your prayer life look like? What does your intercession look like? When you're appealing to God to heal your family member, or to bless you or touch you, in what way do you come to the Lord? When he said, my daughter lies at the point of death, the other gospels say something similar. This means that she was at the point where she was barely even breathing. They thought that she already had died. This little girl was in trouble. Now, I don't understand all of the implications of this, but mothers and fathers have a tendency to swallow their pride when they want to see their child healed. And in order to see their child comforted, a mom and dad will go through a lot of obstacles, pass through a number of challenges. If they have to travel long distances, they'll do so. This man knew that Jesus could heal, but he didn't know Jesus would heal his daughter, but yet he made the trip anyhow. And he says, my daughter is about to die. Why leave a daughter who's about to die? because he knows there's nothing he can do for her standing by her bedside, but he's heard about someone that maybe can help him. And he says, I pray that you would come to my house and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. So here is a man that's been dealing with death day after day in that home. And I don't know if he had a palatial home, a large home, a very elaborate home, but whatever kind of house he had, his little daughter lay there at the point of death, immobile, and this man has made a journey to somebody that he believes can bring life into that house. And he says, Jesus, all I need you to do is come to where she is and put your hands on her. Of course, Jesus recognized this man was believing and he certainly had an expectation that something would happen. And I think this is how we should pray. We should pray and expect a miracle. What's the point of praying if you're not going to expect God to do something for you? There's no reason to go through it like it's a ritual or some kind of a routine. But if you're going to come and bow your knees before God or come out to fellowship with the saints of God and hear the word of God and then silently in your heart pray and ask God to help you, then expect that God is listening to what you're saying. 
He won't ignore you. He doesn't disregard your requests. And so Jesus then, seeing this, made the determination that he's going to the man's house and he started walking with Jairus as he was taking him home. And of course, as Jesus is following Jairus and walking with him, the crowd of people are following Jesus. They're not chasing behind Jairus. The crowd of people is following the man of God that has the word of God. It has the ability and the power of God. They followed him. They followed him closely. They followed him intently. They paid attention to where he was going, went down every avenue and every street. If there was an alley, they went with him down the alley. How closely do you follow God? Do you follow him close enough to where God spoke to you, you could hear what he said? Do you follow him passionately and close enough that when, when God is, has something on his heart or something in his mind, he can communicate it to you? Or do you follow off at a distance, like some people do? Peter eventually betrayed the Lord, stood at a fireplace one night, but he was just close enough to see Jesus' face. And when Peter heard that rooster crow, he knew the word of the Lord had came to pass in his life. I'd rather be close to Jesus in his time of need rather than far away. Where would you want a family member? When a child is in trouble, if somebody's out hunting, suppose a child gets a foot caught in a bear trap, would you right, like to be right there to be able to try to help and deliver and rescue your child? Or would you rather hear the cries and the agony as you're a half mile away trying to figure out which direction to go? They followed him closely, very closely. Because the crowd is pressing upon him and Jesus is making his way to a particular destination. It said there was a woman there that had an issue of blood for over a decade. For a long time, this lady had a menstrual problem. And the blood never ceased to flow. Now you've got to understand what the Old Testament taught about this. We know from Leviticus chapter 15 that when that particular time of the month came upon a lady, she had to separate herself from all people and from the community for a week. During the time of her menstrual cycle, if she sat on a bed, the bed became unclean. If she touched a chair, the chair became unclean. If anybody touched her, she touched anyone, they became unclean. And Leviticus 15, 25 said, If any woman have an issue of blood many days out of the time of her separation, that is to say, it continues long beyond the natural point when it should cease. Said all the days of the issue of her uncleanness shall be as the days of her separation. She shall be unclean. Every bed whereon she lieth all the days of her issue shall be unclean. Think about this, folks. Twelve years. Twelve years this woman wrestled with this. For twelve years she dealt with an uncleanness that had come to her. 
We don't have anything in the record that leads us to believe that she is physically dealing with this because of any fault of her own, but 12 years. It's a long time. It's a long time. And she wanted to be better. She tried to be better. According to verse 26, she had suffered many things of many physicians. And we, we pass over that sentence without thinking sometimes what it is that ancient practices in medicine were like. You realize that the first doctors were essentially magicians and religious people who tried to mix it all together. They were under the impression that if there was something wrong with you physically, that you had displeased the gods and now offerings had to be given in order for you to be made whole physically. For 12 years, this lady had gone to see doctors. And physicians in ancient times, just like today, charged large sums of money. At this time, when Jesus was preaching, the average doctor believed that the human body was made up of basically four particular substances and that if any of those substances ever got out of balance, then it was necessary to get the balance back in the body. And in this particular case, they would have applied bloodletting. They would have tried to cut parts of the body, applied leeches to the skin in order to suck the blood out, believing that if they could remove parts of the blood, then maybe balance would be restored. Sometimes they would go out of their way and even prescribe the excrement of animals. Can you believe it? A woman wanting to be healed of an issue of blood and somebody taking goat's dung and dog's dung and all kinds of other things and smearing it on the human body. This woman wanted to be healed. It says she suffered many things of many physicians. I wonder how many doctors did she visit? And you may wonder why she continued to go over and over again. I'll tell you, folks, pain and discomfort will drive you to see a lot of different kinds of people. Pain and discomfort. And there are a lot of people in this nation right now that if they can't find some kind of healing from their conventional doctor, they'll try holistic treatments. If that doesn't work, some of them may even try to make it to a healing rally where they lay hands on the sick. If that doesn't work, they'll find somebody to do ac acupuncture or something. There's always a mind that wants to be free of discomfort. This lady, many, many physicians, many, many things, a whole lot of money. Do you realize at this time they, they also would prescribe the digging of seven different furrows or ditches and then they would lay in those ditches different vines and set the vines on fire and then ask the lady to come and sit over each furrow and drink a cup of wine and then go to the next furrow, drink a cup of wine and after several days, if it still didn't work, had to try some other procedure. Folks, I'm telling you right now, it's a good time to be alive. Yeah, it's a good time to be alive. 150 years ago, parts of America and in Europe, there still was a whole lot of bloodletting. They thought if you had a problem, make an incision in the skull and let some kind of leakage come out of you and maybe it would produce the betterment of your health. And the Bible says the woman went broke. 
She spent all that she had. Wonder how many people are doing that today. Wonder how many people are not house poor, but health poor. For some of us who have strong health, robust health, you should be grateful and telling the Lord thank you every single day. But I can promise you there are other places where you go when you get in your car and you drive. There's some people that rarely go a week's time without having to be in a hospital. Yeah. The person on dialysis, they're going once a week, twice a week, sometimes more. The person who was born with some kind of physical disability, very often they're in hospitals. And as sure as we got up this morning and got on the road, I can promise you hospital beds are filled with people today that are spending a whole lot of money and praying, oh, God, please get me out of this. I'm weary, Lord, I'm weary. She spent everything she had, but she never got any better. According to the scripture, she only grew worse. The physicians weren't helping her. The old adage is physicians should do no harm, but it doesn't look like what they were doing was helping her at all. But she heard of Jesus. She's tried all of these other things. She's tried all of these other people. She's tried potions and other kinds of pharmaceuticals of her day. But she heard that Jesus was coming. And despite what the law taught, she should separate herself from a crowd. Because what she had could be transmitted to somebody else. And because she was tired of this condition, she didn't even worry about whether or not she would make everybody else unclean. She said, I'm tired of this. And I'm getting out of the house. And I don't care if there's a great crowd out there. I'm going to where Jesus is. She did. She came from behind crawl up in between all of these different legs and just touched the hem of his garment. According to Leviticus 15, the moment she would have touched him, Jesus would have instantly become unclean. But folks, we're dealing with the high priest of glory. And we're dealing with a man that produces healing and power and anointing in his life. There's no way somebody touching him because of their, of their sickness is going to produce uncleanness in him. And the scripture says she had said in herself, if I but touch his clothes, I'll be made whole. Do you believe like that? Do you believe if you reach out and touch the king that Jesus could touch you and you'll be made whole? Do you believe enough that you could reach forth and try to grab an ankle or try to grab a garment or anything? that God would be able to bless you. Well, Jesus is on the right hand of the Father in heaven now, but he dwells in our hearts by faith. But we are the body of Christ. The scripture says, if any are sick among you, let them pray one for another. Lay your hands upon the sick. I can't ask Jesus to come and lay his hands upon me, but I can ask you to lay your hands on me and pray. And you can ask me to lay my hands upon you and pray. And we can expect that the same Christ that's in this book is the same Christ that's here today. Where two or three are gathered. Scripture says Jesus is in the midst. We're a crowd of people today. The lady came behind the press. And the scripture says when she touched him, verse 29, immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up. 
I don't doubt there were people telling her, honey, you're just going to have to deal with this for the rest of your life. And you're just going to have to work on this and handle this discomfort forever. And according to Old Testament law, the menstrual cycle was on with the lady. She couldn't even get married because anybody she would touch would become unclean. And it was against the law in the Old Testament for a husband to even come into physical intercourse with his wife during the time when her cycle was on. I don't doubt this was a very lonely existence for this lady. I don't know when the last time she was in a crowd, but I can tell you one thing. She threw all caution to the wind. She said, I have nothing to lose. I've spent everything that I have. I don't have a dime left. I'm lucky to have a roof over my head. The physicians have taken, taken advantage of me. Some of them were good. Some of them were charlatans. But this lady, nevertheless, has said, I'm going out here despite the fact everybody's afraid of me. Going in the presence of Jesus. It's interesting to me how people at church can say we're going to pray for the sick on a certain Sunday. And then people stay home because they're not feeling well. Going to have a special service to anoint the sick and pray for them, and then say, I, I was going to come to church, but, you know, I wasn't feeling well that day. I know you guys were having a healing service. Yeah, I just, just thought, I'd, thought I'd stay home. The scripture says she felt in her body. She knew in her body that she was healed of the plague. Now, God is a healer. God's a deliverer. Now, I want you to think for a second, you are a man that came and asked Jesus to come to your home. And you and Jesus are walking, and all of a sudden there is this crowd of people that have assembled. And in verse 30, Jesus knew that power went out of him. He turned about in the press and asked the question, who touched my clothes? He knew something happened. And the disciples said, oh, Lord, don't you realize there's a multitude of people out here touching on you? Everybody's reaching and grasping at you. And he looked around and saw that it was the woman. I read the story. I'm happy for the woman. I read the story, I'm pleased about the love of God and the compassion of Jesus being manifested to this lady who under the law was treated as though she was unclean. But if I'm the father with a daughter at home lying at the point of death, I'm wondering, can we not hurry up? My daughter is about to die and you're stopping asking questions about who's touching you. And there are people in every direction and that's exactly how we are. When we have a need and we have a prayer request, we want God to answer our prayer request and answer ours and ours alone. And we don't want God to stop and tend to anybody else's business. But do you realize God's big enough to walk and chew gum at the same time? Do you realize that you can have a problem, I can have a problem, all of us can have a problem, and simultaneously, God is able to handle what's going on in your life just like he can in mine. He asked the question, who touched my clothes? That was a man that was sensitive. He was a man that was anointed. The disciples had no idea what had taken place. Everybody's reaching and grabbing. One lady out of a crowd of people that was touching him received something that other people didn't receive who also were touching him. So everybody comes to church for different reasons. Everybody wants to touch Jesus for different reasons. 
all of them touched him. Only one party was made whole. Yeah, it's beautiful. This lady believed, she understood that God was a mighty God and he was a God that hears the prayers of his people. I think it was David that said, this poor man cried unto the Lord and the Lord heard me. So we need to cry out to God and pray. This is what needs to occur during these times in which we're living now. But the lady cowering in fear, verse 33, knowing what was done in her, she came and fell down before him and told him the truth. Sir, I've had this issue of blood running continually for 12 years. Nobody helped me. The doctors took all of my money. They recommended I go to their friends who took more of my money. I've been sad. I've been depressed. I've been at home. I have to be separated from people. But my friends who come to visit me, my family who comes to check on me, kept telling me stories about you traveling around this nation and wonderful things taking place. And I heard that you were passing through my village and there was no way I was staying indoors. And this lady, she told that story to Jesus and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace and be whole of your plague. He called her daughter. Yeah, he called her daughter. He considered her daughter of Abraham he knew she was someone's daughter. He spoke to her in a familial way to let her know there's love and compassion in connection with this action. Let her know that her faith in God has made her whole despite the fact she felt unclean and she was unclean and the law was against her. Your faith has done this. Your faith can do for you the things that other people's faith can't do for you. You can believe for yourself for matters that would be difficult for me to believe for you. In fact, I'll say it this way. Nobody is ever going to spend as much time praying faithfully and earnestly for your prayer requests like you will. Nobody. We can all hear the prayer requests and we'll say throughout the week, we're going to pray and there'll be people that may spend extra time in prayer. Maybe somebody will turn a plate down and fast a little bit on behalf of you. May not even tell you, but, but in your heart, you're going to spend the vast amount of your time crying out to God all week long. Oh God, you know the miracle that I need. I need a door open because God, if you don't open this door, it's trouble for me. I need you to help us, God. I'm going to lose everything or I'm going to lose something. And in order for me to enter into this new season, God, I am believing that you're going to do this. And you should believe. You should believe. Your faith should be like that. And so, of course, while he's talking to the lady, somebody comes from Jairus's house and says, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the master any further? You know what they're saying? They're saying, Jairus, you failed in your mission. Your mission was to get to Jesus, tell Jesus your problem, and get Jesus back home to the daughter in time enough 
to heal her. Now, it's obvious that this whole scenario here from the time Jesus spoke to Jairus and were making their way home, this must have taken a considerable amount of time. That is to say they weren't just on the other side of the alley. That's what I'm saying. It had to be a long trip. And so as the crowd is moving slow and Jesus is making his way and the daughter passes away, the messenger has time to run and tell him, why are you even bothering Jesus? She's dead. And you know the belief in ancient times and the belief today is when a person expires, there's no point in praying anymore. Prepare for a funeral. Prepare to bury someone. But of course, if you've got Jesus in the middle of some of these circumstances, you know that Jesus, he's pretty good at interrupting funerals and burial proceedings. Remember the story of the widow who was burying her son? They were carrying the body to the graveyard. I mean, folks were wailing and screaming. They're making their way down the road to put, put the body in the sepulcher or a pre-dug hole. And sure enough, Jesus and his entourage are walking by. And they said, well, what's going on here? Said this widow woman's son has died. She don't have anybody else to take care of her. Jesus said, Really? And he walks over there to the coffin, touches the coffin. He doesn't even bother to say take the top of it off or unwrap him or anything like that. Just touches the coffin. Next thing you know, there's a young man coming back to life. Well, I'm telling you, if you're going to go to somebody and ask him to help you when you're in the middle of a crisis, I think that's the kind of person I'd want to talk to. Yeah. And so when the, the message came to the father, your daughter is dead. I'm sure it affected him. I, I don't know, some, some of you in here, maybe somebody or you know somebody have buried a child. That's no parent's desire. Parents raise their kids because they want their kids to bury them. But whether it's an infant or a teenager, I found them to be very, very difficult funerals to do because young people, you expect them to live a long time. But when you hear those words, your daughter, your son, your nephew, your niece, your grandchild is dead. Those are devastating. Absolutely devastating. And it's even worse when somebody then says to you, why even waste your time talking to God now? See, they remove every symbol of hope that you could possibly have. Now, you may, you may think it's strange, but there have been plenty of people on planet Earth that even after somebody passed away, they didn't give up hope. They still tried to get that person back. There's no doubt about it. They've tried. But when Jesus heard the word that was spoken from the mouth of the messenger... He said to the ruler of the synagogue, be not afraid, but only believe. So here is the choice now. Believe the message and the messenger that came from your house or believe what I'm saying. I'm walking with you. Make a choice. Believe what God says. Or believe what the other man says. And that's where all of us are at in our relationship with the king. We've got to make a decision. Whose report will you believe? So here you are serving God. You're a Christian. You love God. Your heart's desire has been to live an honest, earnest Christian life. 
and through no fault of your own, illness comes into your home or into your body. And the doctor has said to you, the cancer is bad. The diabetes is looking like a leg is going to have to be taken. Or they say because of that nerve that's been severed or affected, you're probably going to lose mobility in that arm. And that, that's all there is. There's nothing else anybody on the medical side can do for you. So now you've got a choice now. Do I allow that to be the last word about my condition? Or do I talk to God about it? You can see here in this instance, Jesus spoke to the man and said, be not afraid, but only believe. And here's where we've got to live. You can't live in my body. I can't live in yours. But we've still got to trust God. Yeah. Years ago when I had that massive blood clot and I had to go into that emergency room and they did that scan of my leg and said that I was clotted from my vena cava down to my left ankle and nobody in that hospital had ever seen a clot that big. My left leg had swollen up twice as big as my right one. And that doctor said, you've earned yourself a stay at the hospital. He said, you can't even move. Don't move at all. Don't twist. Don't turn. Immediately fear came upon me because I kept thinking, oh my goodness, here I am laying on this bed. And if I move the wrong way, one of them clots will break out and go right up to my, my brain or to my heart. And I'm, it's over with. I'm thinking about my wife. I'm saying she'll be a widow. And here we are, younger people trying to serve God. And so I went through that whole cycle of fear in that emergency room. But finally, I had to settle on down and start thinking about some scriptures. And they got me in that hospital room and John drove up from Hebron and had his Bible and just kept reading the scriptures to me. And Tiff was there the whole time reading the scriptures and praying for her husband. And as I was just thinking more and more about God, my faith just started growing, growing again. Because I realized if that devil could have killed me in that emergency room, he would have went on and did it that night. But if I'm still here right now, as long as I've got hope in God, I've got a chance. Well, the doctors that I had weren't the brightest. I'm not a doctor, so I didn't know what should be going on and what shouldn't be going on. But can you believe they gave me somebody just graduated and finished up his internship? And that doctor had me with a blood clot walking up and down the stairs and doing exercise. And so Tiff didn't think that was smart. So she called a couple of the nurses here in the church and uh, talked to them and they said, now, you know, uh, that doctor's an idiot and you've got to get him out of there quick as you can or that man's going to kill pastor. There's no doubt about that. Huh? Right. And so sure enough, we we ended up going to NHI and, and, and they got it all fixed up with a surgery inside of about 45 minutes. But I remember laying there as they were getting ready to take me down there. And, they, and Tiff's holding me, and I'm holding her, and I'm crying, and she's crying. I'm saying, honey, if I don't come out of this surgery room, I love you. You've been the best thing ever happened to me in my life. I mean, just tears are flowing. I went down there, and I came back. But you know what? When I was in that first hospital, the saints of God found out Pastor was there having a blood clot, and I'm telling you, I had a roommate. And then, you know, you used to put that little curtain in between. You know, that little curtain don't protect you from any kind of sound at all. 
And the man over there had had some kind of problem drinking too much the night before. So he's over there and people are knocking on the doors. Pastor here. Oh, yes. Come right on in. Pretty soon more. Come right on in. And others came right on in. So I'm surrounded by people and the lines going all the way out the door. And the nurses are asking, who is this man anyhow? And we had camp meeting a couple of times right there around the bed as the saints of God sang the songs of Zion and prayed for pastor. All I'm trying to tell you is at some point in the midst of that circumstance, you're going to have to create faith so that fear won't overtake you. Be not afraid, only believe. And I told you that story because I wanted you to know pastor has had moments where he's been afraid. We've all had moments where we've been afraid. But we know what's greater than fear, and that's faith. Let's finish this up. So Jesus didn't allow anybody to go in there with him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the rule of the synagogue, and there was a great crowd of people. People were weeping and crying and screaming. And when Jesus was coming in, he says, why are you making this big to-do out here? What's all the weeping for? He said, she's not dead. She's only sleeping. And of course, in verse 40, they laughed at him. They didn't know God. They didn't believe God. They laughed at him. They mocked him because he said something they could not comprehend. They had never seen somebody come back to life. And Jesus has determined that this little girl is coming back to life. So he put them all out. And took the mom and the dad and his disciples with him. Now I hate to say this, but it is a true statement. There's some people in your life, some people in your family that sometimes you have to put them out when you're trying to believe God. There's some friends that you have sometimes that you've got to cut them off because they're just so negative. They mock things related to God. They don't have anything positive to say about your faith in God. So rather than encouraging you, they discourage you. And there's some people you just have to say to, look, for this season of my life, I'm just, you know, we're going to have to be disconnected. Or sometimes just don't answer the phone. You've heard me say 10,000 times that one of the greatest inventions to ever, be, to ever come into existence was the caller ID. Because somebody calls you on that telephone and you can just stare at it and try to make the determination whether or not you want to answer the phone. And you ask the question over and over again, do I feel like dealing with this or with him or her right now? I know it's true because I call some of you, you don't even answer the phone. So you look, you're looking at the phone number. That's, that's pastor. We're not even going to even bother with that at all, you know. <clears throat> then if I can't get a phone call answered, I show up at the job or somewhere, you know. Then I just stand there and look at Becky. Just stand there and look. Just watch. Just wait. You know, somebody's going to pay attention. But the damsel was lying there and he took her by the hand and he said to her in Aramaic, Fletha Kumi, which is to say, little girl, rise up. And immediately she arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. Here is a girl, 12 years old, that has died. Earlier there was a lady, 12 years, she had an issue of blood. The day or the time period in which this little girl was born, the woman's cycle started and didn't cease. 
the two marvelous miracles of Jesus. They were all astonished and surprised. My wife and I were driving the other day and listening to a good minister out of Mississippi preach, and he was telling a story about how one of his parishioners had died. And they called him and some of the other saints and said when they got to that house, this person was dead on the floor. Face was turning blue, the fingertips were changing colors, and of course they had called for the morgue and all these paramedics and all these folks to come, but living further out of town, it'd take a while to get there. But he said, he and the saints of God, after about 30 minutes of this, they just decided to start worshiping God and praying in that little living room in that house. They said after maybe 10 minutes or so of worshiping and praying and talking to God and pleading on God's behalf, and God don't let this young man lay here dead like this. He said it was like a, a breeze came in through that front door. He said he felt it. He said here was a young man laying there more than 30 minutes dead. All of a sudden just gasped, said, <gasps> sat straight up. That in a few moments, a few moments time, that young man was up walking around. Folks, nobody ever knows what God will do. In a hospital, in a home, in a church service, wherever it might be. So whatever our physical issue, whatever we're battling at home, whatever we're trusting God to deal with us about, I can promise you there's no problem in your life that's bigger than your God. And your God will always be greater than all of your problems if you allow your faith to enlarge the size of your God. So rather than worrying about how big your mountain is, worry about how big your God is. Make your God so big that your mountain is no longer visible because the mountain is behind your God. Rather than allowing the problem to be so big that you can't see your God because you've made him minuscule. But have faith in God. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Let's stand. Only believe. Don't be afraid, but only believe.